Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features Professor Isabel Ray-Cocard from the Clinical Science Institute Léon Berard Center in Lyon, France, and Professor Ignace Vergo from University Hospital Louvain in Louvain, Belgium. They will be discussing their choices of studies of interest presented at the 2022 ESGO Congress in Gynecologic Malignancies. This episode is part of a larger educational program entitled 2022 Global Conference Coverage, an update on the clinical development across gynecologic malignancies. For more information on the experts, along with a link to the complete program, including a downloadable slide set and clinical commentaries, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say. Hello, everybody. My name is Isabelle Recocard. I'm a medical oncologist in the Centre Lyon Berard in Lyon, France. I'm also the president of the Gynéco Group, the cooperative national group dedicated to gynec cancer a clinical trial, and I'm very pleased today to join by Professor Ignace Vergot from the University Hospital Leuven in Belgium in Europe. Together, we will discuss key uh, study presented at the 2022 ESGO meeting, focusing on new data for laboratory, developing homologous repair deficiency testing in ovarian cancer, but also emerging data informing about the use of PARP inhibitor in the recurrent ovarian cancer, and patient reported quality of life outcome following chemotherapy for the topic of rare ovarian cancer, the Vrivrover study. Ignace, would you start with the presented data for the HRD testing based on the Paula One dataset across center in Europe? Yes, sure. Thank you, Isabel, for the introduction. I think we all know that HRD testing is more and more needed to guide therapy of PARP inhibitors, especially in first line uh, ovarian cancer trials. And um, during the ESCO meeting, two very interesting um, abstracts were presented on academic HRD uh, testing. These were done through the NGOPS HRD European Initiative and were based on the Paola one trial, which we all know randomized patients after standard of care to bevacizumab with Olaprip or bevacizumab alone. All these patients were tested by Myriad, but there was remaining DNA available to develop academic HRD tests. One from Leuven was already presented at SEO in March this year, but during the ESCO meeting, we had two additional tests presented. And the first one was from Geneva. We call the Geneva HRD testing, which is based on a different technology, the OncoScan, which looks at the copy number variation. So it's not using the LOH, loss of heterozygosity, nor the TIA, uh, the telomeric imbalance, but only large-scale states transition, and they looked very carefully to the whole genome doubling, and in this way, they could concentrate only on LST. And there are some differences with the Myriad My Choice test. Myriad My Choice test, as you know, is an NGS assay looking on LST, LOH, and TIA, and it's costly, 5,000 euros about. 
while the Geneva test is a SNP assay that is not detecting the BRCA mutations or the other HRR mutations and it's only 350 euros but of course you need to, to count the cost for the personnel as well. What is interesting on this test is that there is quite good agreement on positivity and negative with the Myriad GIST scores, but there is a lower failure rate of only 1% for the Geneva test versus 14% in the Paola 1 trial for the Myriad testing. So this is interesting. And what they showed is that patients treated with Olaparib according to the Geneva HLD positivity or negativity gave very similar results in hazard ratio on a versus placebo in these two groups um, compared with the myriad testing. So this was very encouraging. And the same way it happened also when they excluded the BRCA mutated patients, also in BRCA wild type patients, the hazard ratio for HLD positive versus HLD negative, according to the Geneva testing, was very uh, similar. So this is an interesting test. I think the disadvantage is that the BRCA mutations and HRR genes were not tested and that it has to be validated through further clinical tests as well. Another test which was also presented was the NOGO GIS Gen Genomic Instability Scoring HLD assay, also on the NGOT HLD initiative, also on the PARLA 1 trial. Quite similar, but different techniques. And the NOGO HLD assay, um, all HR genes, for instance, RAT51, PALB2, and all the other ones were also tested. And this is a hybrid capture chest test. Uh, NGS base, so different from the OncoScan from Geneva, looking at about 20,000 SNPs. So it's quite comparable to the Leuven HRD tests, which looks at 90,000 SNPs, the NOGO to 20,000, but otherwise it's quite similar. Also here we see that again, the Kaplan-Meier curves and the hazard ratios are very similar to Myriad testing both in the HRD positive and the HRD negative. So there is not a lot of difference with Myriad. And in addition, the OS was looked at in both Geneva and the NOGO testing. For OS, results were very similar to HRD positive and HRD negative patients according to the Myriad testing. So to conclude these two presentation, I think we have now three academic tests developed on the PARA1 samples on more than 460 samples of patients validated that they can predict PFS and OS in the same way as the Myriad testing. And this was a very encouraging news. Thank you so much, uh, Ignace, uh, to uh, report this important topic. And I agree with you, uh, having trial as Paula One able to give us the opportunity to develop uh, HRD test at the academic level, it's an important topic. I have uh, two quick questions for you. In the Paula One trial, we have introduced bevacizumab as the patient received Bev before to be randomized in the combination arm with Olaparib or in the placebo arm. Do you think this can be something complex if we would like to have use of this test uh, looking to PARP inhibitor alone? Yes, I think so. I think when you look on the other trials, like the Prima trial and also the Velia trial, there was a clear difference in efficacy of PARP inhibitors, also Athena trials, so there are three other trials, 
there is a clear difference in what you obtain with a part in the HRD positive patients, including or excluding BRCA versus the HRD negative patients. I think this plus also, like you showed, the ESMO meeting, the OS late survival data in the HRD negative patients, adding Olaprip to BEF in the Power One trial makes me and I think a lot of key opinion leaders concerned of giving all patients, also the HRD negative patients, a part. The same is also applicable as we will discuss later in patent sensitive recurrences. So there are many reasons. I would like to know at the start, at the diagnosis and during the first line chemotherapy, what is the HRD status? Do I need to give BEF for clinical reasons? And if so, should I add Olaprip? But also, if you don't give BEF, do we have enough arguments to give a PARP inhibitor in first line if the patient is uh, HRD negative? So, yes, I think also for other patients, it's important in the clinical decision-making to know the HRD testing result. And another question, Ineas, you mentioned the no-go and the Geneva test. You uh, speak a little bit about the Leuven, but can you tell us more about this other test already available or ongoing to be available? I think the three tests are available in, in the country and the EMEA approval of Olaprip based on part of one says that it should be based on validated HRD testing. So I think these tests can and are already used in different countries in Europe. Which one to use, I think is different. I think the results are very comparable. All three have less failure rates than the Myriad tests, the one with a little bit more than the other one. They all three are cheaper and they have all uh, very similar hazard ratios in favor of uh, PARP inhibitor. The big question now is how we can improve the tests, I think, and that should be really the future that all these academic groups who have presented, but there are also, also three other ones who are developing HRD tests within the Polo One initiative on HRD. So I think all these academic groups should compare the tests and look how we can improve because we all know that not all HRD positive patients respond to a PARP and not all HRD negatives do not respond. So we can improve these tests. And with uh, academic collaboration, I think we can come to even better tests. Which one to use, I think, will depend heavily on where the test was developed as I see it. Thank you so much for your answer, Ineas. And I completely uh, support your your position about continuing to uh, uh, improve this uh, already available test and also the future are uh, coming soon. Now, uh, I would like to move on other important data report at the uh, ESGO meeting. I will speak about, as mentioned before, about the overall survival data uh, from the IL-3 trial. Very quickly, you remember this uh, phase three uh, randomized trial for patients in the platinum sensitive relapse who never receive a PARP before, if they are in partial or complete response to a platinum-based chemotherapy, they will be able to be randomized to receive Recaparib uh, until progression or safety 
versus a placebo. Uh, this trial report positive results for the primary endpoint, the progression-free survival in the HRD uh, BRCA mutated, but also in the ITT population. And these uh, positive results uh, bring Rucaparib available in uh, Europe, US and uh, uh, world uh, for patients as a maintenance therapy in uh, platinum sensitive relapse. But there is a hierarchical model in this trial looking to the quality of life and then if the quality of life Uh, will be positive, we have the possibility uh, to look at the uh, final overall survival. This final overall survival was report at the ESGO. We see during the oral presentation by uh, Rob Coleman that the patient receive more frequently a subsequent therapy in the placebo arm, specifically in the BRCA mutated and the HRD positive using the LOH test group of patients, but also in the ITT population. We see that close to 72% of the patients with BRCA mutation and 76% of the patients with NASHRD test receive a subsequent therapy in the Rucaparib arm and 90% in the uh, placebo arm. In terms of overall survival, we see similar overall survival in the BRCA mutated cohort with uh, a median overall survival close to uh, 46 months in both arms. The other ratio remains below one in favor of uh, uh, Rucaparib. In the HRD positive uh, population, uh, we don't see any benefit to add uh, Rucaparib versus placebo in terms of overall survival. And the other ratio is 1.005. And so in the ITT population, the other ratio is uh, less than one, but we don't see, uh, again, um, a benefit in terms of overall survival in this analysis. Also, we see that 46% of the patients in the placebo arm receive a PARP inhibitor in the subsequent therapy, as uh, we can uh, anticipate. There is no uh, uh, huge uh, uh, safety issue uh, in this uh, final analysis in terms of adverse event, grade 3 adverse event, or death due to uh, the adverse event, more specifically looking to the myelodysplasia. There is close to 4% in the Rucaparib arm, but also 3% in the placebo arm. And so the point is about the overall survival, but remember that the progression-free survival was clearly statistically and clinically significant uh, using PARP inhibitor in the relapse setting. The second Uh, a trial I would like to speak is a retrospective study, but looking to the quality of life and the sequel for patients who receive chemotherapy, uh, uh, which uh, are uh, uh, include uh, for non-epithelial ovarian uh, cancer, more specifically germ cell tumor or sex cord stromal tumor. We use our national uh, network dedicated to rare mal malignant gynae tumor 
uh, to identify the patient. And we introduce a control uh, group using the Sentinel research platform with uh, a match uh, LC woman uh, in accordance to uh, more specifically age. The patient receive a quality uh, of life questionnaire, including fatigue, long-term side effects. And we also look at uh, neurotoxicity, cognition, uh, and so on. In uh, At the end, we have 144 patients who receive uh, platinum-based chemotherapy, in general BIP, for uh, the initial uh, management or in the relapse. And the, the women uh, are the control looking to the age. In terms of patient characteristic, uh, we don't see uh, so much difference. And it is surprising for us to see that also ILSI control have some issue in terms of quality of life, but also in terms of insomnia and, and fatigue. Uh, if we look at the detail, we don't see so much difference between both groups, except for the social well-being. And also we have to say that there is much more menopause, statistically significant, in the uh, patient characteristic compared to the ILSI control, body mass index, and also the level of education. Education. There is a high level of education in the control than in the uh, patient population. In terms of early menopause and sexual difficulty, we uh, effectively see more menopause uh, uh, for patients who receive chemotherapy than the control group. And also we have some sexuality concern significantly impact the rare ovarian cancer survivor uh, following BEP therapy compared to ILC control, uh, speaking about interest in sex, but also feel less like a woman or having uh, children. Uh, for the early menopause and sexual difficulty, it is statistically significant compared to the control, uh, but we also have a negative impact on the health condition on daily life, more toxicity and more cognitive reporting. And so we can conclude that for sure, uh, chemotherapy is able to cure patients with uh, uh, non-epithelial rare ovarian cancer, but there is some price and we need to anticipate uh, some uh, intervention to decrease this uh, uh, side effect and long-term sequel for the future. Thank you, Isabel. May I ask you some questions? Uh, I will start with Ariel 3. And um, I think it's uh, obvious that um, the results are intriguing. So the question for me is, when we look on area three and also other trials, such as the monotherapy, more than three line trials where PARC inhibitors have been withdrawn in the US, and also your results on the West in parallel one, those patients who did not get PARC in first line, but have then plant-sensitive disease and have a negative HRD, Test. What is your opinion nowadays, the use of PARP inhibitors in this group of HD negative patients? Thank you for this question, Ineas. Um, I, I said that I will a little bit more um, reluctant to have a, a clear and strong negative answer uh, for the uh, sensitive relapse for two reasons. 
first. Um, uh, these uh, trials are not really a power to look in detail to the overall survival. And when you look at the patient and the subsequent treatment they receive, we have seen that the patient who progress after uh, uh, Rucaparib or in the placebo arm are not exactly the same. And uh, uh, the HRDTs is really efficient in the first-line setting where we are not able to clearly uh, identify the candidate to POP inhibitor with the uh, platinum sensitivity for several reasons. In the relapse setting, uh, also we don't see overall survival benefit in IL-3 and in NOVA, I will be in favor uh, for patients who very well respond to platin and did not receive a PARP inhibitor in the first line setting to consider this maintenance because uh, in the IL-3 and NOVA, we have included different line of treatment for the patient. And so the overall survival also represents uh, a, a mix of patients who receive two, three, and, and, and for some of them more than four lines. So exploring the overall survival in such clinical trial is not so easy as we can do for the first line setting, in my opinion. Well, Isabella, I fully agree. I think we both leave an HRD testing in first line. But in plant-sensitive recurrence, I think I certainly agree that the HLD testing is not so reliable. And you have a test because these patients have been responding to platinum. So I think we, we fully agree that um, this should, should not change our attitude. If I may, I would like to ask something different, probably a difficult question, but uh, maybe you can give me a good answer. The in the Rob Collins presentation, the Ariel 3, the PFS on the next subsequent therapy was longer in the placebo-treated patients than in those treated with recovery. Do you believe this is due to the fact that patients had crossed over in the placebo arm or what we have debated quite a lot due to the fact that there is more platinum resistance in the recovery group? My immediate answer will be probably both. But uh, we need to demonstrate because finally you are right. Uh, we have seen with Solo 2 that the patients who progress on the POP uh, uh, finally have perhaps uh, a less efficiency of the next line of treatment. But in the other hand, if we have to think to what we have seen before, any maintenance therapy improves the progression-free survival we have seen. So uh, it is really complex as we did not fix the subsequent treatment in this trial. And I'm not sure we will be able to do it for the future because the subsequent therapy is directly impacted by the, the previous treatment. So it's really complex in this population of few patients. I know it's a difficult question. Uh, I, I also would answer the same. About the Vivrovir study, I think that's a very interesting study because there are not so many studies on quality of life in non-epithelial ovarian cancer. I think it's the biggest or certainly one of the most interesting which you presented here. 
as expected, there is a difference in cognitive complaints and also impact on sexual health, which is, of course, important because many of these patients with non-epithelial ovarian cancer are young. But I wondered, uh, I think you had this follow-up of uh, six years and that whether the BEP induced these changes in cognitive complaints and sexual health, especially the first years or the later. So I wondered whether the long-term follow-ups had a different effect, BEP or not. It's an important question. Right now, I can't answer to this question because we look at the, the, the median follow-up we have. But what I have seen uh, in the literature from Norway, for example, is that longer you increase your follow-up, higher you have a huge difference with the general population. So probably uh, the uh, longer follow-up will help us to confirm that this impact continue over the time. Uh, however, currently the Vivrover will not be able to do that right now because of the budget. But what it would be much more interesting, because you're right, it's the first time we report such results in woman cancer, because it is already done for testicular germ cell tumor, but never for woman. So it's a first step. But it will be clearly very interesting to develop a European platform to explore longer this question and also more importantly to introduce intervention as soon as possible to avoid such uh, side effects. Also, I would say I have seen more and more patients who did not receive chemotherapy for stage one right now for this tumor that it is a good news also for the patient. Yes, indeed. Uh, maybe my last question before we close is... Uh, I think we all know that heavy chemotherapies such as PEP uh, should have an impact on PROs such as anxiety and fatigue, which you also see, but it was not significant. Don't you think this is due to the low numbers? Of course, it's a large trial in this disease, but don't you expect that would the study have been double so large that we would certainly have seen an effect on, on anxiety and fatigue? It's a, it's a good question. When we discuss with the team of Florence Jolie, hein, who are the leader of uh, this uh, uh, study, it seems that uh, looking to all the trial, all the studies they have done also in breast cancer, and uh, they did not feel that it is a question of number of patients, but much more that we always think that control LC population are well done, that it is not exactly true. Uh, it is the interpretation of the research team. But right now, you're right, it's one of the limitations and probably this need to be included in the discussion section. Thank you. Thank you, Ineas, for, for this great discussion. This concludes our discussion of important study presented at the 2022 ESGO annual meeting, informing our current management of patients with ovarian frequent cancer, but also rare cancer, and the use of personalized medicine in ovarian cancer. We are very proud of that. We hope this discussion was useful for you and for your patient. And thanks again for listening and goodbye. Thank you very much, Professor Ray Cocard and Professor Virgo, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, 2022 Global Conference coverage, and update on the clinical development across gynecologic malignancies, 
and to download a highlights slide set including the various studies associated with this discussion, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.